Hello and welcome to episode 235 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, strategies, bands, and 2024 plans for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in northern Wisconsin, beautiful lush Door County. And with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, you you sound and look very different this evening. What's going on? What do I look like? You look like a, you look like, okay, to me, you look like a black square with a letter S in it. Huh. That's the new look I'm going for. That's, I mean. Just call him S. It, 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 it definitely, what's up, S? Cool S. <laughs> <laughs> but your, you, your, your home studio sounds a little bit weird. It should sound great because I'm in a car. I'm in a car studio. Ooh, mobile. That's right. I'm parked outside of the office of the lovely Shallows Resort in Egg Harbor, Wisconsin. I'm sure you've heard of it. Can I get a room? Uh, if you book a year in advance, you can. Oh man! So there's like a, there's like a vacancy, no vacancy sign, and it definitely has the no lit up. There's there's no sign. It's not that kind of oh, resort. Oh okay. I when I was talking about a doom, Devin, you were like nodding knowingly, like ah yes, the shallows. No, yeah, no. I I have no idea. Nothing. I don't think I've I've never been to Wisconsin. I gotta oh, go. A nice I state. Go sometimes. Wisconsin's a nice state. I've been saying this. Wisconsin. I would move there in a in a hot minute. They got a lot of cheese out there. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had some curds today. They were fantastic. Squeaky. They were twelve dollars, but worth every penny. <laughs> for the for the <laughs> listeners who maybe didn't re- realize by now, we have D- Devin O'Donnell, aka Doomwake, on the channel from Massachusetts as oh, well. Oh wow. Introduces himself. I was he can't getting wait. to it. I was, I was doing I was riffing first. I gotcha. Oh yeah. Devin, good to see you. How's everything going? Uh, well, as I mentioned to you in the beginning, it's uh, I had a little bit of a rough rough Saturday. I lost in the finals of my RCQ and a one slaughter, so that was kind of tough. <sighs> how, how, Sad. How many RCs have you like made the finals of and lost? Three. Ugh, it's my third daggers. this season. It's my third this season. So I got <laughs> I got one. The last chance next week. Surely next week is the one I can I can get better than second place. Hopefully. So I'm I'm guessing this is a pioneer because because that's the current season. What were you playing? Rakdos Sacrifice. I think it's just the best deck right now. At least for me, I don't really have. A, I sold a lot of my green cards in a vow where I just decided that I would never play green for the rest of my life. Kind of like a, a personal thing. But uh, I, I think it's probably the one of the second best deck in the format right now. Stanislav, um, before we get into like the housekeeping part, which I know some people skip, we do have some important sort of pre housekeeping, and it's about Patreon. So. Patreon, if you are an existing patron, it might have canceled your charge to us and it might not automatically renew itself. They had like some payment processing thing happen. And I know a lot of content creators out there were mentioning it like on their tweets and stuff like that. They're like, well, I just lost like a quarter of what I usually get like per month, per episode type thing. And so this is just a call to action. If you do want to keep your patronage going, uh, we would really appreciate it. We definitely saw a dip in our per episode kind of amounts. And so head on into your Patreon, check your settings, check your payment things, make sure it's up to date, make sure that it's working correctly. And we really, truly uh, appreciate that. And with that Patreon reminder, we have to talk about heavy play because it is, of course, a new card gaming accessories brand, and it will improve your gameplay and your game day. And I agree with that because these play mats, these deck boxes, the card sleeves, 
enhanced ergonomics, enhanced mobility, enhanced protection, because primarily because of the EquipMag system. And what that allows you to do is magnetically attach your dice boxes, your deck boxes, your play mats all together. I brought my heavy plays with me to Wisconsin on the off chance I find a uh, a little LGS to play with. <laughs> the thing about them, the, the equip mag system makes it so easy to travel with. And oh, I love that part. Keeps it all together in a nice modular way and they look great. And if you want to grab some, you can go to heavyplay.com, use code the dive down 2023 for 10% off your first order. They will likely also be soon coming to your LGS, but I don't think they're going to give you 10% off there. So head on over to heavyplay.com. All right. Let's talk about this week's episode. What are we doing, Stan? We do have one final post-Pro Tour show. (laughs) Final. Final, final. But so much more. But so much more. It is more. On this week's episode, we're going to take a spin with some of the unique decks that actually finished well in Barcelona and captured our imagination from the results. Devin is going to tell us about some of his adventures and misadventures with things like Merfolk, Four Color Reanimator, even Scapeshift. We're going to talk about some Rhino decks, of course. Mostly misadventures. (laughs) <laughs> with rhinos no <laughs> well no not with rhinos with the other decks but rhinos is okay yeah <laughs> rhinos is okay the official podcast of rhinos is okay true and then I, I think shane set aside some time to play a deck as well yeah i probably played something you can guess probably what it is can't wait to find out before all that though let us housekeep we do have a few new patrons to join the dive all down right. nation yeah john b Ooh. and eric w thank you both for becoming citizens Shane mentioned you can find us over at patreon.com slash the dive down best way to support us you can also support us with swag for yourself friends loved ones enemies strangers that you're trying to impress <laughs> frenemies the dive down.com slash store we have hats we have beanies we have fanny packs oh my t-shirts sweaters rhino boy stuff you can also support us while playing magic online with a mana trader subscription Using promo code THEDIVEDOWN2023 gets you 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. Of course, you can take care of yourself and support us with some fine grooming products from Barrister and Man. Coupon code THEDIVEDOWN23 gets you 10% off your first order. 15. It's 15. 15. Wow. 15. 15. Even better than 10. Practically pays you to use Barrister and Man. And then, of course, this doesn't even support us. This is us supporting you with a modest discount. From our friends at Nerd Rage Gaming, promo code DIVE8 gets you 8% off your order with NRG. 8% is for free is just generous. I don't think it's a modest discount, but... Pretty good. So we can agree it's a friendly discount. Very friendly. Stanislav, without all that out of the way, yes. let's get into this episode. Let's get into the meat of this episode. And we have to start, I think, with the BNR announcement that took place this morning. Everyone was waiting, everyone was anticipating something, whether it was going to be something in modern, out of scam, or the one ring was going to get banned already, or something out of Pioneer, let's take Karn the Great Creator out of the format, or something like that, uh, or Nykthos, or something, uh, Legacy, who knows, uh, but... Vintage, what why we, not? What, what about did, Penny Dreadful? What, what about Penny Dreadful? What about Tiny Leaders? What did we have happen, though? We got two cards unbanned. One was in Modern. Preordain was unbanned. The other was in Legacy. Mind's Desire was unbanned. Effective immediately. Dun, dun, dun. Can't confirm it was effective immediately. I played some Preordain on uh, my stream today. It was pretty fun. Whoa. Okay, I, I literally have no idea what Mind's Desire does. I'm sure if Dave was here, he'd be like, what? 
I uh, I am a I I well know what that card does. I played quite a bit of that in a format called Extended that many listeners might not even know what that word means in terms of magic. But yeah, that was uh, that's an oldie but a goodie. Yeah. So my desire. Let's talk about my desire for a second. Four blue blue. <laughs> Shuffle your shuffle your <laughs> library, then exile the top card of your library until end of turn. You may play that card without paying its mana cost. Storm. Okay, so this is just like a crazy storm target. Yeah, of just some kind. flip your whole deck, play it for free. No big deal. Seems that's good. Let's do it. We should try that in okay. modern. Yeah, I mean it's probably <laughs> no. legal. It's legal now. <laughs> we okay, so how do you want to approach this? I feel like we could say almost nothing, or we could kind of get into some stuff about our, our thoughts about kind of you know things not really being banned and preordained being unbanned. It's probably what we have to do. That is what we have to do. This was a very meaty announcement, mostly written by Michael Majors with additional support from Carmen Handy. There were a couple things that were both practical in terms of how they're thinking about the formats as well as the future of bands. I kind of think we should try going through some of the broader points and even maybe read some of the article together and we can talk oh, about... Nothing's, nothing's more fun than that. We can talk about specifically what they're saying and how we feel about it. Yeah. Sure. De- Devin, are you into a little read-along? I would love to. I'm here for it. Audiobook style. <laughs> so right off the bat, they did clarify their future ban schedule and, and sort of... You can almost call it a philosophy, but we may recall they recently said that they're only going to do one BNR per year right around the rotation time. But there was going to be this liminal period immediately after sets come out where emergency bans can take place. They're mm-hmm. not they're not really changing that, but they did clarify that the aforementioned liminal period is when other format, non-rotating format, bans, unbans, what have you, could occur with some regularity when necessary. Basically... Yeah, this this is a CYA clause. Cover your butt. Yeah, yeah. CYB. So, <laughs> Devin, I've always said you're good at spelling. <laughs> it's the, one of the only things that I'm good at. Yeah. Um, I, I think there is some uncertainty about whether this means modern pioneer and the like are only going to see bands once per year if like what's something what if something isn't immediately obviously broken what have you and you know shane put it they're covering their their bums and i guess it's better to hear this announcement than not hear this announcement i mean this is kind of what i actually expected to happen even if it's not explicit where it's just like you cannot really take care of the shifts in power and like with the frequency in which they're going to be releasing cards directly into modern, especially in like the coming year, which we'll talk about in a little bit, where it's just like, you have to leave it open, I think, because of the sheer power level and the lack of ongoing influx of cards where it's like, I mean, I I know I just said that there are a lot of cards coming in, but not as many as standard, right? So standard, they can just basically say, we have stuff happening every quarter that is designed to shift our format and we want to let that ride. And once a year, we'll take a look at things really closely in pioneer, modern legacy, vintage, things like that. The power level of the cards is so significant in which something could probably get out of hand more quickly. And they don't want people to hate those formats when they're waiting for the next modern horizons three to shake things up or like a a new set to come in with like one or two cards that likely won't have the same impact as it would in standard. So I think that this is probably like 
what was going to happen either way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Shane and I were talking about this before the episode started where Pioneer, you know, for all intents and purposes, it really hasn't been a format for all that long. What, two or three years at this point, right around, you know, prior to COVID. And what they for our listeners who don't know that they used to do with Pioneers, they would used to have, I want to say every other week, maybe monthly ban announcements. And they would continuously, you know, go over the ban list and take a look at problematic cards. And it almost seems like when they stopped doing that, there was like a, a stagnant period. We're talking specifically Pioneer at this at this rate. But yeah, you know, it's I would kind of like to see them maybe curate the Pioneer ban list specifically a little bit more. But, you know, as far as this specific part of the announcement, it's like in a situation where we have an Oko 2 or an Uro 3 or something like that. One of those like really problematic cards. That's what this is for. Stan. Let's talk about the modern part of this first, because that was the first part of the article. And I mean, the the long and short of it is preordain is unbanned. That's the first sentence. The first paragraph, in fact, is a one sentence paragraph. Yes. And but this paragraph, this is in media res because they go straight (laughs) to the end. But then Majors pulls back and turns the clock four years into the past. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You're right. It's like it's just kind of like periods unbanned. Uh, but wait, let's talk about other things. Let's talk about the last Barcelona Pro Tour. Um, really, what they what Majors says here is that you know the the One Ring and Orcish Bowmasters were really a lot of buzz around them. You know, the metagame preview for the Pro Tour showed that the One Ring and Orcish Bowmasters were the number one and number two played cards, respectively something they rarely see in tournaments like this but then and, and he acknowledges that that data point was concerning yes uh, you're right yeah they said that it was initially initially concerning but what appeased them was they asked people at the pro tour and attendees of the magic con uh who play modern and they said much of our concern subsided because a variety of decks were performing well the, and the games and interactions within those games looked healthy. And um, let's see. One thing I liked was the I must have witnessed Urza's saga rec- recruiting Haywire Might to take care of the One Ring about a dozen times. So it, that, that's all you need to see, man, is that the Haywire Might can take care of the One Ring and, you know, you're good to go. The One Ring is a totally fine card. Note, I don't think anything personally should have been banned out of Modern. But I think this rationale is different than other types of rationales we have heard in the past, where they are already defending cards from their most recent set as to why they would not ban them. Yeah, I think we got to play it out a little bit longer, right? You know, this is the Pro Tour was two, two and a half weeks after the set came out. And I feel like we just kind of, you know, we haven't seen enough of it. You know, the the format definitely is a lot of ring. It was the most played card at the, at the Pro Tour. But I think we just haven't had a ton of like we haven't given enough people given people enough time to respond to it, you know, and, and there was a lot of bow masters and that's because of the ring. And I think if maybe it plays out a little bit longer, maybe the bow you know, the amount of bow masters upticks, the amount of haywire mites, there is answers to it. And at the end of the day, the games are relatively interactive. I, I, you know, they're, they are pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they do, they specifically don't mention win rates in this whole modern 
announcement at all, which is something they sometimes do, sometimes don't. I think you know when you look at the stats on mtgmeta.io and some other places, you know you can see that over the past few months, if not longer, the win rates of most of the popular modern decks are like 45 to 55. And you know I say this a lot, but I think that's kind of exactly where Watsi wants the format to be. But then that does ignore things like you know uh, health of the format, people still engaging in events. Uh, we've definitely had arguments in the past where it's just like, hey, we think enjoyment of the format is the most uh, popular thing, and we uh, it, it's the most important thing, and we need people. That's why we're going to ban something like inverter, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, when we get to the, the pioneer section. But I sort yeah. of think they're not acknowledging that correctly, but that's probably what's actually going on where they must have had data that did not point to anything being particularly problematic beyond the fact that these two new cards were the most the first and second most popular cards in the PT. So like, okay, that concerns us, but that's just one data point, right? And they're, they're not shy from acknowledging when people dislike specific play patterns or dislike specific cards and will occasionally ban things for that reason specifically. So I, th I think what they just failed to acknowledge was that we didn't see anything that was particularly problematic. Yes, these cards are popular, but player sentiment still remains positive. And I think they had to maybe say that a little bit more clearly to, to drive that home because now it sounds like they're yeah. just doing like unscientific man-on-the-street interviews. That's basically what it sounds like, yes. <laughs> And, and that's, I mean, that's where, that's where we're at right now. You know what I mean? Like it's that we don't have a ton of data and it, we, it almost has to be anecdotal, right? Yeah. And let's also recognize that they're probably talking to the same people that they talk to all the time. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe they pull <laughs> like, said. a handful of strangers. Yeah. But like, I'm, I'm sure majors is talking to people like LSV and Gabe and other really esteemed players whose opinions they trust and those folks were probably saying like, yeah, it's a lot, but doesn't seem so bad. And they kind of probably just confirmed their own internal biases that way. And, you know, even it, they do say like the next paragraph, it says, despite the healthy tournament results and there seemingly being plenty of wiggle room uh, that they're, you know, the play rates, of the cards are still high. They're monitoring the long term fun of the one rings play patterns, especially given its ability to be looped in a reset. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, they did acknowledge that, you know, maybe down the road it will become a problem and they're yeah. willing to take action. Yeah. I'm going to guess that's maybe after all of the printings of the Lord of the Rings set stop being sold. Maybe. Maybe. I don't, maybe. I don't know why I'm thinking that. It, but. It's, it's a little cynical because the One Ring is expensive because it's also popular in Commander, which is their most important format. Good point. The But I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just acknowledging that, that that's the that's one way to look at it. Yeah. So I I, I think that I don't really personally want to lean too hard into like what we think should have been banned. If I mean, I, I don't think the One Ring and Orchestra Masters are to the point where they they need to be. I mean, kind of philosophizing about our general thoughts about oh, if you would ban what something, what would you do? It's just like that's not engaging content. So I think we should talk a little bit about the unbanning mm -hmm. of Preordain because I do think that people are going to be interested in this. You know, people love blue. People love Is It. People love playing Is It Merktide. They like playing other decks where this is, you know, possibly going to be, you know, see a home. And they're they say it's you know unbanning is not something they do often. They're interested in finding opportunities to reduce the size of the modern ban list when it will make the format more fun and provide players with more options. So that's cool. And 
the format, I mean, this was banned in 2011. You know, that's what, 12 years ago? Mm-hmm. So it's probably, I mean, it's not probably safe just because it's 12 years old, but that's just a long time to have a card on the ban list without testing what's going to happen when you unban a card like this. And so, you know, that was when decks like Storm and Splinter Twin, which have had bans, uh, including Splinter Twin. And, you know, these decks are, you know, Storm is basically unplayable right now. Splinter Twin, of course, doesn't exist. So, you know, maybe it's the time to see what Preordain can do to the format. Yeah, if I recall correctly, I think Preordain was on the initial wave of bans, like what maybe the first or second ban list right after PT Philly. And that was where the, I think the the most prominent Preordain deck that I can recall or the one that's, that sticks with me is the Sam Black Infect deck, which had like four Ponder, four Preordain, four Probe, four Misstep, and that deck was beyond broken. And honestly, it's just a different time. Like Magic is, it's the modern format is so different than what it was when Preordain was banned. And I really like their explanation of wanting to give, like they specifically called out Blue Red Murktide, which they recognized was one of the most popular decks prior to LOTR. And it just fell off the face of the earth. Like we've, you know, we haven't seen Murktide really. Uh, there was, you know, almost none of it at the Pro Tour, it seems like. And, you know, a nice little, uh, nice little boost to Blue Decks. I mean, it is making a comeback on the weekend challenges. I saw some, is it Murktide there? I mean, but people people are almost never going to stop playing the deck. I think that players who like it and are good with it are going to keep good, keep staying good with it. I think it's funny where it's like, oh no, our is it mid range deck has fallen below fifty percent, and only like seven percent of the meta is playing it. We really got to give something back to it specifically. <laughs> they, they, so they even called out in a previous paragraph that one of the things that maybe puts Bowmasters on their radar is the fact that it's helped push Ragavan out of the format. There's just a lot of subtext that they want Ragavan and Murktai to be good. I, I mean, wonder why. A, How often do they do that? Call out like specific decks that that they want yeah. to boost up a little we, bit. We that wanna, is kind of weird. We want to give yeah. something back to Red Blue, Blue Red. Mur- I mean, also you could just call it Is It. Like that's what we call it. It's not Blue Red Murktai. But anyway, I call it Prismari now. <laughs> long i mean long story short i think i'm i'm f- i'm overall happy that they didn't take any kind of drastic action i think it's a very safe unbanning i'm glad we don't have to deal with like maybe a test case where it's like green sun zenith is unbanned and like in three months we're like holy crap this needs to get out of here type thing like it's amulet five you know five rounds at every challenge or whatever i'm a little I actually don't know how to describe my emotion. I feel funny about this particular unban because part of me feels like it's not going to do anything. Am, am I alone in this? Like, no. Has, I mean, have we seen preordained? Devin's going to say about preordained later. Well, no. So I actually, so I, I kind of agree with Stan. And if you look at, if you looked at the ban list prior to preordained being on it. I think Preordain is the one card on the ban list that you could say, yeah, this card could come off today, you know, and nothing would happen. And that's exactly what happened. And, you know, I think it'll give the blue decks a small boost. Like maybe it'll be like a small uptick in these blue fringy style decks, some small uptick in some blue mid range decks. But it's not, you know, it's not a, a deck defining card like a green sun zenith, like Shane mentioned, or you know, there's plenty of cards, Splinter Twin, anything like that. It's not going to spawn new archetypes, just be a role player in existing archetypes. And you know it's a it's a card that people probably don't want to cast too much into a bowmasters. So yeah, scry to draw a card. It's funny you mentioned that. My opponent, you know, I I played on stream today, and my opponent played a uh, a preordain, and I was like, oh, I got this bowmaster. Well, that's people are po- really into bowmasters. Th- that's the point. Like, what what is preordain going to do for Murktide or other decks that helps it push through a bowmaster environment? I, I'm just trying to understand. They're acknowledging that bowmaster is really good. 
preordain is a bad card in a Bowmaster world. Well, yeah. you could also use the same argument that consider is not a great card in a Bowmaster world, but preordain looks at, a, at an extra card. So it's just, it allows you to dig a little bit deeper. Okay. It's That's in, the it's big Preordain's a sorcery, and that that is definitely a thing. Okay. So overall, I guess none of us are offended by by the actual implications to the format. Maybe we were a little puzzled by some of the rationale, but you can't expect all of your game designers to also be excellent writers and communicators, right? Whoa. Some shade on Shots Michael fired. Majors. I mean, I just think that, I mean, we can talk a little bit more about this after the Pioneer part two, I'm sure, but the Pioneer part is extremely short. But I think what, what kind of irks me a little bit is, I was getting at this before, is the consistency of messaging from these ban announcements is a little bit uneven. And what I mean by that is, like I said, it's like sometimes it's, they talk about win rate. Sometimes they talk about ubiquitousness. Sometimes they talk about fun. Sometimes they, then, you know, all those things are, some of them are statistical. Some of them are gut feelings. And this one felt kind of like a gut feeling thing. They really only talked about like banning cards from the latest set rather than even speaking to things like the evoke elementals rather than speaking to, you know, things like Rakdos scam. Uh, they were just really focusing on, no, we're not banning the one ring. We're not banning Orcish bow masters because we think they're okay. But it didn't really get to, I think the, the meat of a lot of people's argument, which is kind of like, Modern's not necessarily what we modern's not necessarily for some people what they want it to be, and like the free spells are part of that, the play patterns of certain top decks are part of that, and they didn't really get at that, and so that's a little bit of a surprise. And kind of speaking, you know, not speaking to any kind of statistical stuff at all is not really keeping or fitting with some of the the ways they've done it in the past. And so what. I think this gives fire to people's conversations when you know, they don't have anything to fall back on in terms of like, hey, previous announcements were like this or previous rationales they gave were things like this. And it's kind of whatever they feel like in terms of the rationale, which then gives people whatever they feel like in terms of having rationales for their banning desires. Maybe they just wanted to unban preordain and needed to meet a word count. <laughs> and somehow acknowledge that, you know, we're paying attention to other stuff. We know that this tournament was hugely popular and people were buzzing about X and Y. And we hear you and we're keeping an eye on things. <laughs> yeah. But what we really wanted to do was to give is it X preordain. Yeah. Can we talk about Pioneer now? How much we time must. you got? Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't have a lot to say about this. I have not been playing Pioneer since we've been focused so heavily on Modern recently. I don't really know what is going on in the leagues. I don't know what people are experiencing at their LGS. But I do know that you know this is something that you still play a lot of, Devin. You do the RCs. You, I'm sure you play leagues from time to time. So, you know, what are what are your thoughts? Stan, Stan give me your take first, and then we'll we'll give Devin like five minutes. Yeah, I want to give Devin the most time, but let's just read the paragraph. It's a quick oh, paragraph. Please, yes, that Carmen wrote. The Pioneer metagame continues to have a wide spread of playstyles and archetype representation from tournament to tournament. There are known pillars such as Mono Green Devotion, Rakdos Variants, and creature-centric aggro decks. Their metagame shares rise and fall at a healthy clip. Recently, new versions of Lotus Field Control have gotten some attention, but its win rate and metagame share sit about where we would expect any reasonable deck to fall without a clear top dog or unanswerable archetype pushing other decks out, we've elected for no changes at this time. Yes, so this is kind of like the, the announcement I 
typically expect from WotC, where it's like, look, everything's within reasonable ranges for us. We don't we don't see a deck that's like too OP. We don't see anything that uh, is indicating that the meta game cannot respond to decks being top of the meta. So no changes, and that's kind of like I think this is a overall better announcement than like the ten paragraph one above it. But but I'm I've gathered that Devin has feelings. Yes, oh. but in terms of the in the trenches, like and the the players of Pioneer, give us give us some takes here, Dev. Oh, I got. Dev. Oh, I got What's takes. Up, Dev? I definitely got takes. Now, here's the thing. I, I com- I sympathize with the argument that mono green is not necessarily the most represented deck, and it's not. You know, or at least in terms of like online metagame share, if you look at the recent results, there's there's an you know an infamous or Twitter infamous at this point uh, tweet where somebody had shared a prelim result that was like six green decks and two Rakdos decks, and you know that's not always the case. That was a, a needle in a haystack type thing, and I get that Mono Green is not the most represented deck, doesn't have the highest win rate, doesn't have an alarming win rate, but at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself: Are the games fun? And yes. I don't fun? really think that if you at, if you pulled 100, like if you had 100 players play against Monogreen Devotion and you did a poll and you asked them, did you have fun in the match? I would bet, again, no <laughs> sp- no statistical proof Frowny of this, face. but I would bet that at least 80 of them would say, no, they did not have fun in the match. Uh, and that's regardless of whether they win the die roll or not, because even if you win the die roll and you beat Monogreen, it's still like it's not that enjoyable. So at the end of the day, I think my biggest issue is Yes, it's not. It doesn't always have to be about representation and about metagame with dominance and all that stuff. Because even some of the the, the best decks still haven't you know approached a astronomical win rate or stuff like that. Like look at Inverter for example. Inverter famously when they banned there was I don't remember if it was the Inverter ban list or there was some ban announcement where they talked about Inverter and they said that they they brought up that it had a forty nine percent win rate. I don't know where they oh, got yeah, that their was data from. That was, that was, yeah, that was the BNR. They were like, yeah, look. This deck's this deck's bad, but you all hate it, so we're right. giving in. It's the same exact thing. Like mono green is even you know maybe it's maybe even has a higher win rate than inverter did. Who knows? But they banned it because they banned inverter because of the you know again metagame share overall health of the format. It wasn't that fun to play against. And you know at the end of the day, if you if you search pioneer ban on Twitter, I'm sure you can find hundreds and you know upon hundreds of tweets or X's. I no, guess I at wait. this point, can't wait to do that. Where it's just people asking for Karn and Nikos to get banned, and that's kind of where I'm at too. Isn't there a risk to banning those cards? Because oh yeah, then we we can't enjoy them in other decks that are more enjoyable to play against. Sure. That's fair. But I mean, I guess my counterpoint is if you look at there's there's not really a ton of other decks that are playing Karn. Like, I guess the ones that I can consider the ones that I can think of are maybe there's like white devotion decks that were playing it, uh, mm-hmm. some Rona combo decks or maybe some fringe like Kinnon style stuff going on. But there's really not a lot of decks playing Karn, which is surprising because it's one of the most powerful cards in the format. And, you know, it's it's uh, actually a bit surprising to not see a lot of other people playing it. But yeah, I don't know. I, there's definitely some risk. And also, the other thing you have to consider is, like, what does the format look like without Karn? Does Rakdos Sack become too good because you can't turn off, you know, ovens? And, and that's one of Rakdos Sack's worst matchups. So if you take their worst matchup out of it, does Rakdos Sack just dominate the format? Does Grease mm-hmm. Fang become too good because you don't have Karn to shut off Parhelion? Like, there's, there's these tons of other dominoes that fall into place. But it's one of those things where you start, you start from, you know, point A, and then 
depending on what path that leads you down, you can then execute further plans. Like if, you know, again, if you ban Karn and, and Oven becomes too powerful, maybe you ban Cat. Uh, if you ban Karn and maybe Grease Fang becomes too popular, you can answer that down the road. But it, it's got to start somewhere, you know? Just play Spirits. You never lose to Mono Green. <laughs> True. It's always fun. You can say nope. I mean, to be fair. I'll quell I, that spell. I, I played Rakdos Sacrifice. Uh, I beat Green twice in the last RCQ. Beat it the same player in the Swiss in the top eight. So it can't be that bad of a matchup. Yeah. It's just not that fun. Yeah. What is what is your take on some of the responses I read briefly today uh, on on Reddit, fine site Reddit? The <laughs> a lot of people were saying things like, look, the format's just stale. Like it's just it's just stale. Uh, it's not super fun. I'm not engaged with it. Not as many people are playing unless they have to. Uh, is is that how you feel? And then follow up question: Is that a rationale you think that could be used for banning or unbanning cards? So I would generally agree with that sentiment. I think the format has felt relatively stale for me. The problem is. Even if you take one deck out of the format, I, I don't know it, how much that necessarily fixes the problem of it being stale. Yes. And I think a lot of people's sentiments are just the play patterns overall, even just if even if you remove green from the equation, just the overall play patterns there. You know, a lot of people's common sentiment is there's not enough removal or the removal's not that good. And that's why they had to ban Winota in the first place. So, I, I mean, I, I kind of agree with that. It does feel like it's a little stale. I don't really know the best way to remedy that. It almost feels to me, this will be like my, my last point, then I'll let Stan go. It almost <laughs> feels to me that the format is in a similar spot. And correct me if I'm wrong kind of feels like where modern was right before MH2, where we had that period of time where it was just prowess versus Heliod dual decks. And it's a lot of two ships passing in the night. And, you know, as much as I've advocated against this in the past, I wonder if pioneer horizons could actually maybe be a good idea. Question mark. Yeah. Depending on what pioneer horizons is. Right. If they're adding new cards directly into pioneer, I'm going to lose it. Um, So I I (laughs) want to talk about my thing. Staleness really quick. Please. I have a theory. I think the reason Pioneer feels stale is because it's been the only RCQ format we've had to play for the last 24 years. <laughs> True. Ever, ever since they've made the rule that the RCQ format has to match the RC it's feeding into or be limited, even prior to that, there was a lot of RCQ seasons that would incorporate a fair amount of Pioneer play because Pioneer was quite popular at the time. It kind of feels like if you want to engage with competitive magic, it's very hard to escape Pioneer right now. And because maybe due to power level of standard sets, maybe due to lack of just ingenuity among brewers, things haven't been changing particularly rapidly. Maybe we wouldn't have that feeling if we got to play a little bit more variety in like meaningful comp Ariel environments. And we got to just like keep doing modern RCQs if that's what we wanted. Yeah, just a, a real quick tweet here from uh, Corey Burkhardt, very you know well-renowned player. Um, just his you know his language here. I guess I keep saying tweets. I meant to say X's. Uh, this language about <laughs> formats you. are not for you has got to stop. If you're forced to play a format because of your goals, then it's clearly for you. Uh, and then he says Pioneer is not great. The gameplay is really bad. And upset about it is good. Hoping for Pioneer Masters to improve Pioneer. And that's kind of the sentiment that a lot of people, these pros that have to play Pioneer for the Pro Tour. You know, I saw a tweet from LSV. He's like, he specifically said he hates playing Pioneer. But he also said in the same tweet, he doesn't think bands are good. And like, you know, it's where do you go from there? If you don't like the format, but then you're saying that bands aren't good. How do you fix it? Yeah. And the power level of cards in standard does 
maintain a, a pretty you know high rate of power. I think that the the clip of cards coming into the format can't be that much faster than it is. I know how to fix Pioneer. I have it. Go ahead. Let's do Un, it. Unban Smuggler's Copter. That's what I said. I mean, give it to me. It. I want mono. I want mono black aggro back. I don't even know if yes. that would do it, but yeah, oh, it would for sure. The I think what's funny, and I don't want to you know keep keep talking about Pioneer too long, but I think what's funny is that pe- if people are saying it's stale because decks are maintaining their power level for too long a period of time, isn't that what people liked about Modern? Isn't that what people liked about the old modern? It's like, hey, you could you could keep playing, you know, Merfolk until the cows came home. You could keep playing Jund and evolve it, you know, a few cards maybe every set or two, and you know, decks maintained their their value, maintained their power level, and that's kind of where Pioneer has been at for a good length of time. But maybe that's not what people actually want, and maybe that's not what modern really ever was. Deep. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. I'm I'm with Stan. Unbanned Smuggler's Copter. It'll fix all the issues. Also, unbanned Kethis. Why the heck is this card still banned? I don't even think it would be very good. Let's let's try it. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? They ban it again in three months. Maybe after the RCQ season. Just don't unban Oko, please. Leave Oko on the ban list. <laughs> yes. That's, there was. I don't think there was any pre-ban hype or speculation that earnestly suggested unbanning Oko. No, I know. It's just I don't think people can do that in good faith. <laughs> that would that would be a weird magic format where Oka was okay. Vintage. So I think that's a good time to stop. We spent more on this than I expected, but not too much more than I expected, honestly. So I think let's let's breeze through these Gen Con 30th anniversary MTG panel announcements. And I did not watch this live. I don't know if any of you did, but people, of course, were sort of live tweeting, live posting what they were talking about. I read some articles that sort of summarized it because there was a boatload of stuff that just dumped on us, like the next like two years of, of sets. And there are some here that have an impact on our formats of Modern Pioneer. So the first thing that we got to get out of the way is MH3, officially announced for what I believe is Q2 of 2024. So yeah, that's another straight to modern set. It's something that's going to shake up modern once again, hopefully fun. Uh, the the only things that we know that Rosewater were, was excited about were like double-faced cards now being possible in MH3. Uh, so that's cool. Why I is think, that I noteworthy? Think, I, I think don't, they could, I don't get it. Maybe they, they, they didn't have the tech to do it before for some reason. Like maybe double the way cards? the set had to be printed, the double-faced cards. I don't know why. Not sure. Weirdly, MH3 is also going to be on Arena, like for draft, cube, historic stuff. They But they explicitly were like, yeah, Modern's not on our plans, don't get your hopes up type thing. I don't think there's anything we should or could speculate on MH3. You know, we all expected this to come out at some point. It's two years after the last Modern Horizons set. Um, the only thing that I know for sure is that everyone is going to want something different out of this set. So we can, we I don't can, know. We can speculate on what the free spell cycle is going to be. Uh, I, I guess I hope there's not one. free cells. Ooh, free spells. See, that's that's what I'm hoping is like. Let's see what Horizons looks like with no free spells. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's. I mean, I guess I just kind of hope it's not as pushed as two. Like I think, and and primarily it's because I don't. I think like MH2 costs people a lot of money. Yeah. I think MH2 yeah. was just a, it was expensive to keep up with the format. Like if you if you want to be that type of modern player that can have like you know a, a stable of like four or five decks, like you're gonna spend like what five seven hundred bucks just to keep up with the broader format if it's as pushed as two was. I, I know I don't have to do that, but it's something like I largely feel obligated to from time to time. So I just hope that it's maybe just something where it's like 
you know, it's it still sells packs because people like the cards, but it's not like you have to get play sets of five different mythic elementals to to stay relevant. Yeah. Other other than that, I just feel like much much too early to speculate about anything. Who knows how the format's going to change between now and then? There's actually going to be a whole other direct to modern product before MH3. <laughs> yeah. Is there before? I, I, I think it's coming out before. I, I think so. Yeah, which one, which one are you talking about? I'm talking about Assassin's Creed: The Gathering. Yep. That is Q3, my friends. Mm. Assassin's what Creed. Okay. So this is more of the Universes Beyond stuff. Um, they're doing a bunch more Universes Beyond tie-ins now. Like some are like the cosmetic booster cards, like you know the Jurassic World versions of normal cards, like the Transformers stuff. Some's going to be like you know uh, Fallout Commander decks, but some are going to be non-draftable Beyond boosters that will be modern legal. So the Assassin's Creed is scheduled for July 24. So that's after Q2, that's Q3. And this is a non-draftable set, a mix of reprints and new cards, modern, legal. I don't know about you all. I don't have any connection with Assassin's Creed. Like I played the first one when it was like the most hyped game ever, like yeah. in like recent recent memory, and everyone was kind of disappointed because it wasn't what they expected. I hope that's not the case for this set. I know, I know. Assassin's Creed like found its footing later, um, but I don't know who's asking for an Assassin's Creed direct to modern, non-draftable set. So, first of all, no one's asking for anything. Everyone's just asking to be left alone. Let's let's get that out of the way. I, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone asked for MH three. I had a, a whirlwind of emotions because at first I, I was shocked by the announcement that. Assassin's Creed of all things is going to be modern legal. Like Lord of the Rings, you can sort of squint and can see how that's magic yes. the gathering it's fantasy it's magic assassin's creed is, is 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 really pushing that boundary i think but i do like assassin's creed i've I played a number of the games it is cool looking like they're gonna look cool unless they have like a michael fassbender card because he was in the assassin's <laughs> creed movie i think it's probably it's going to be another pill we have to swallow and it won't even be terrible. It won't be as jarring as the Fortnite cards are, for instance. <laughs> True. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if Fallout is even more out there than Assassin's Creed in terms of a collaboration. I, I, it's interesting. Like they had the Warhammer direct like commander deck printings. Fallout mm-hmm. sort of has a similar vibe in my brain. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's, I think it'll, it'll be cool. I don't know. I mean, the, the, the commander decks things are like not for me necessarily, but I think it's like, it's a cool deck idea. Here's a deck idea. All a, a true tier list modern deck that only uses universes beyond tie in versions <laughs> of cards. So like your lightning bolt is Hadouken and other examples oh, yeah. that I can't think of right now. Oh, speaking of Hadouken, um, I did purchase the uh, Street Fighter Secret Lair because um, I was like, "Look, <laughs> let's go." If, if there's if there's one item I need to own in a Secret Lair, it's a, it's the Street Fighter set. So that's how it happened, Shane. You're part of the problem. Yeah, I am. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna spring a question on Shane and Stan here, and I'll I'll, I'll answer it myself. Uh, not in the notes, by the way. What universe is beyond product would you guys like to see? My answer would be South Park. Wow. <laughs> That's a classic. I was oh so Devin, you have to come visit at some point because the the historical town of South Park is like an hour fifteen minutes away from really? me. Um and it's like a cool little small town. They actually have an LGS that has like been there for like a year now, and so I hope they keep surviving on. But um 
yeah and there's like there's some stores that have like a, a south park museum of like oh, odds go. and ends and like you can you can pay what it's like 350 or 350 as i believe they said in the um so yeah you can pay that to enter the the secret room of like one of the world's biggest like south park odds oh. and ends collection god that's awesome also i heard casa bonita is back the yes, actual casa restaurant bonita. Is, that, is back. Wow. That would make for a killer legendary land. <laughs> <laughs> Casa Bonita. But oh, it's just man. a photograph of the restaurant's interior. It's not the cartoon version. <laughs> it's, just, it's just the waterfall of someone diving into it. Like the dive um, down, maybe. Yeah. And uh, in 2025, oh, yeah, I didn't answer your question. Um, that's a really good stand. You have something off the top of your mind. Oh, yeah. I've always said Avatar The Last Airbender. It would be a perfect fit. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. One. I don't have anything off the top of my mind. So I'm just going to leave the space blank. And if I think of it and the rest of the episode, people will know why I'm randomly just like, clue. <laughs> what about that, that eighties, uh, animated movie, heavy metal. That would be cool. Oh, that, that would be a good, like directed commander, like similar tone sort of to like fallout yeah. and Warhammer. Yeah. Yeah. Akira. I don't know. That's something that I like a lot. Back to the future. Give me a doc Ooh, Brown. There you go. The DeLorean. Oh, that, it's oh, just like smu- a oh, yeah, smuggler's copter, but it's the DeLorean. Oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> you've you you freaking nailed it. That's yeah. that's good. Uh, in twenty twenty five, there's also going to be a Final Fantasy set. Speaking of universes beyond, it looks similar to Lord of the Rings in terms of more modern legal cards, likely draftable. They're going to sell a million copies of that. And then we have some arena announcements. We'll breeze through these. Pioneer Masters. Actually, I don't want to breeze through this, but we, you know, um, so much, only so much time in an episode. So the by the at the end of 2024, our plan is to reach what we're calling Tournament Pioneer, uh, is what arena executive pr- producer Chris Kuritz said, which means making sure all of the cards that are relevant for Tournament Caliber Pioneer are available to players by the end of 2024. So they're delivering Pioneer Masters, which is a draftable set that fills in the remaining archetype gaps while being a fun experience on its own. This is So this is not like a Pioneer reap, like um, new cards in the Pioneer. It's all the old cards that hopefully we are missing. They also said for Pioneer players who are looking for something a little less spiky, they want to add fun and iconic cards to things like anthologies or booster pack inserts because they want to support both tournament and casual fun play. My only take here is, my gosh, end of 2024 is still like 15 months out. <laughs> it's a while like, out. But hey, and Pioneer on yeah. Arena, you know? <laughs> I mean... We'll get there eventually, and then we can complain about something else. So, and then we have cons of Tarkir. Stan, any takes on Pioneer being on Arena by the end of 2024? God, they could do it tomorrow, and they choose they not to. It, right? Yes, they probably right. Could. I know. They what probably else is there to say? I don't, I don't know. Cons <laughs> um, of Tarkir is coming out to Arena, full set release, not a remastered set, so no Fate Reforged, no Dragons of Tarkir cards, only Cons. Cons uh, is an excellent draft set but it doesn't bring much to pioneer at this point. Like all we really get out of it are the Delve spells. Like no one's saying like, Oh, I can't wait to play Sark and the dragon speaker or like empty the pits or like obs on charm in pioneer. So, okay, cool. I'll draft it. I mean, I, I will definitely draft it. 
So a couple things real quick. First of all, I don't know why this is only cons. Like, why can't they do Fate Reforged? Because there's a couple of bangers in Fate Reforged, namely Tassiger. So even if they're doing Delve spells, we're not going to get Tassiger. Um, and then second, specifically for cons, I went through the Scryfall and did a search of like cards that people play in the format. I came up with Hardened Scales, Stubborn Denial, Hooding Mandrills, which is part of the Delve spells, Mantis Rider, and Jeskai Ascendancy, which okay. I'm a big fan of. But I mean, Scales did get reprinted. Right, Scales is currently Explorer Legal, and it's on Arena, right? When I did a search for it, I couldn't find it, and I even did on cards I didn't own. Maybe I was searching incorrectly. Maybe I had like a filter on, because I wasn't aware that it got reprinted. It, when I looked it up on Scryfall, it said it was Explorer Legal. Oh, okay. Maybe it was, Maybe it it was been an anthology. Start. Or that, yeah. Okay, never mind. So it takes Scales yeah. off the list. No, but yeah, but I mean, those other ones still count. I'm Points really excited board. for Jeskai Ascendancy. That was one of my one of my early favorite decks in Pioneer, and I'm pretty hyped to play that deck, especially because you can't play without the Delve spells too, which you need Cruise Dig for. So, uh, Mantis Rider, maybe a little boost to humans as well. We'll see. But you know, yeah, those are those are kind of the bangers that I found. Final announcement is no no more remaster sets for a while. Uh, Soi Shadows of Innistrad is going to be the last one for a while. They said. I mean, all I really saw the remastered sets for was like a path to Pioneer. So I'm kind of like, cool, whatever. If you need to spend all of your remaster resources on Pioneer Masters, go for it. Like, if that means that that's the focus, sweet. Sweet. It'll be fun yeah, to and play then, Pioneer on my phone. <laughs> yeah, and then just like really, really quickly, just to kind of close. As, long, as far as the remastered sets, as long as we're going to get the Pioneer Master stuff and we're going to have everything that we would need for tournament, you know, Pioneer, whatever, then who really cares about the remastered sets at the end of the day? Cool. Those are the announcements, y'all. Very, very fun. We've got a lot of cards coming probably in the next, what, year? So buckle your seatbelts. Yeah. Feels like we're the MTG Goldfish podcast now. Yes, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about some decks we've been playing uh, from from the latest Pro Tour, from the PT Barcelona. So stay with us. Away to the dismal swamp he speeds, his path was rugged and sore, through tangled juniper beds of reeds, through many a fen where the serpent feeds, a man never trod before. That, of course, is an excerpt from Sir Thomas More's The Lake of the Dismal Swamp, which is one of many inspirations for Bear Sherman's returning Halloween scent, Hollows. Ooh, Stanislav, there's not only the scent. They went <laughs> they went all out. Yeah. It's a whole brand. It's this is this is a thing. I'm I'm liking this. There there is a brandy snifter, okay? There is a stainless steel water bottle. There's a uh eau de toilette. There's a shaving towel. There's a t-shirt. There's a hoodie. There's a shot glass. Yeah, and they've all got spooky skulls. This is the very spooky. I guess this is Barrister Man's official holiday scent, which is now yeah. available for, I don't think it's even a pre-order. I think it's just available now. Yeah, it says add to cart. So this, so the shaving soap alone, because you know this is a returning thing, it, it has 97 historical reviews, five stars. Yowza. This sounds awesome. So let's, what is, what is this all about? So the thing about the hallow scent is that it takes inspirations from the swamps and churchyards of the historic city of Boston, and they combine fragrances such as vetiver, oak moss, black pepper, cacao, 
labdanum, one of Shane's favorites, and cedar. Yeah, I love that labdanum. Oh, see, I really actually do like cedar stuff in my fragrances. Yeah, and they produce a deep, cold scent suited perfectly for the chilly, bitter days of late October. It's gloomy, it's rich, and it's pervasively elegant. No, this is, it says perversely elegant, by the way. Okay, so I'm going to get this now, and I'm going to wear it in mid-August. Try and stop me, Barrister and Man. You can't. It's, 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 It's autumn somewhere. This sounds cool. I'm looking forward to getting uh, the samples from uh, Will over at Barrister and Man. But if you want to check out the Hollows collection, go to barristerandman.com. Get yourself some shaving soap. Get yourself some fragrance. Get yourself some product. Uh, it's, it's, there's a lot to choose from. And make sure to use promo code THEDIVEDOWN23. If it's your first time shopping with Barrister and Man, that'll get you a discount on your first order of 15%. back and like i said before we left let's i think what we wanted to do just for kicks because we wanted to play some modern is let's test some of these pro tour lists and see how they feel outside of the pro tour meta for which they were designed and not only that but we there were some cool lists some uh, weird outliers some cool decks ink from the pro tour that i know uh devin o'donnell aka doomwake um, also tested Stanislav. Yeah, I know. I know that since you're you're operating remotely, you're in a car. How's your How's your a battery Subaru. doing? How's your battery doing, my friend? We are at thirty eight percent. Why don't you? In case we go long, you want to talk about what you did first? Sure. Yeah. Maybe I could. I'll talk about what I did. I think it can transition to some stuff that Devin was doing as well. So Perfect. there there could cool. be a little opportunity there for synergy. Ooh, that's that's what we go for here. <laughs> All right, so I was actually quite eager to play. Not surprisingly, I'm sure the the CFB version of Teamer <laughs> Rhinos. Okay, does I have to ask? Does this one have Muta Vault? It does. Oh, Wizards. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't actually exactly the Kai Bude list, but even the Luis Scott Vargas uh, August fourth tuning of the Kai version of the deck based on, I think, some of Kai's experiences and, and what they saw at the Pro Tour. So this is even, in some ways, a post-Pro Tour take on CFB Wizard Rhinos. Sure. So so a list that people would try, because LSV and Kai and those folks were involved in, in tuning it. Yes. And I guess the noteworthy things that make this deck somewhat unique is it's playing a Questing Beast main deck, uh, only two subtleties, one Merc Tide, still has four Loring Reveal. The Bone Crusher Giant main. Yeah, it brings back one Bone Crusher, probably for the ring. Most notable, of course, the two Flame of Anor. This is the one blue-red instant from Lord of the Rings. Choose one. If you control a wizard as you cast the spell, you may choose two instead. And then you can either draw two cards, destroy a target artifact, or deal five damage to target creature. So it's playing two of those, and it's creating wizards via two main deck Mutavault in its 21 land package. Mutavault in my rhino Mutavault. deck? In my rhinos? <laughs> Te- technically, Mutavaults are rhinos when they are active. True. Very true. Yes, they're, they're, they're rhinos, but also wizards. Yeah. Not a lot yeah. of wi- rhino wizard dual types, are there? <laughs> there should be. 
to Scryfall. I gotta, go, I gotta go look on Scryfall right now. Yeah. <laughs> like how shaded I had the same exact idea. How do, yeah, do advanced search. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so Stanislav, while we're looking this up, yes. What's this? What's what is? What were your sort of initial takes? What, what yeah. is? You know, tell us about this. Yeah. So um, I, I wrote some headlines. All the new cards are kind of great. That was that was the first thing I noticed. Like these cards weren't actually bad at all. Flame of Anor in particular. It's always a castable card. It either draws you two if it doesn't do anything, kills a lot of hate pieces or just hammer cards or, or other random artifacts that come up. Um, and dealing five damage to target creature basically lines up against everything in the format that truly matters today. And most practically, I think it's it's good against grief, or not grief, it's good against um, fury. And, and a grief that has a 1-1 counter for that matter. Those those have historically been difficult cards to deal with once they're resolved for the Rhino deck. Um, and now this is just like a, such a clean answer to them, which I appreciate. Yeah, because, I mean, what the modes are just destroy target artifact, target player draws two cards, deal five damage to target creature. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and you can choose one mode normally, two modes if you control a wizard. So that's ostensibly why you would have Muta Vaults is to get the two modes if needed. Correct. Okay. Another important thing is it kills Shieldred, and I think they did expect a lot of that blue-black deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it makes sense. I, I don't know. It does do that. I'm not sure how important it is. I, I did not face any Shieldreds across 10 matches, but, you know, she is a card. I'm not denying she's a card. Yeah, I mean, this deck is, I mean, not to interrupt your flow here, but this deck is looks like it's hedging against creature other creature decks for some reason, because I feel like we're normally pretty good against them. Like, it has a Dismember main, it has the two Flame main. Like, you know, how were you using Flame? Were you using it primarily to kill things, to draw cards, to, you know, kill artifacts? I... Pitching? So I played two leagues. The first league, I had two Flame main, and then it has an extra in the board. Okay. Uh, or, or it actually has two extras in the board. So you could go Oh, up to the up full four. four. I didn't do great in that league and uh, maybe cast Flame like once or twice. Just it was with only having the two main in a league that I kind of got crushed, to be honest. I finished two, three. It, it, I didn't collect a lot of data. But I thought the card was intriguing that I just fired up a new league with four main deck. And, Whoa, yeah. Just test that card. Yeah. Jeez. Just go all in. I, I also cleaned up the sideboard because I thought the CFE sideboard was for a Pro Tour meta and not a, an MTGO meta. And I was okay. like, I, I hated not having Force of Vigors in particular. So I, I got those back in the deck. And I, again, only cast Flame of Anor a couple more times. One of the samples was against Hammer. In fact, I played Hammer three times across my Ooh. 10 matches. Wow. Back, baby. Uh, with a record of one to two against those three matches. Flame of Anor was cool because it tags target artifact. Like, it's on the tin. It's not a good enough substitute for Force of Vigor that I agreed with CFB's approach of just cutting Force of Vigors entirely. Maybe that made sense for the Pro Tour where they didn't anticipate seeing much of any hammer. And, and yeah, Hammer is on the up and uprising after its performance at the Pro Tour. We heard right. a lot of people talk about Hammer, so it's you know, you're know you going to see a little bit more of it for sure. Right, but as an addition to Hammer, I think it's... It's perfectly serviceable and benefits from the fact that it has extra modes. I think it is objectively better than Prismari Command. You know, even though Prismari Command does give you two modes, in this deck in particular, just not having to loot two 
felt good. As, yeah, just a divination is a divination. Yeah, getting back cards when you're you're kind of hellbent, um, which rhinos can do if you have like a force of negation and a fury or two force of negation hands and you end up two for one yourself multiple times. Just like the draw two makes you feel like you can go into that long game sometimes. And I guess I probably actually used the draw two the least often, come to think of it, because I played against Hammer so much and enough other creature decks that dealing five was a relevant way to get Rhino damage through. But overall, I, I, like, I think it's good. And what it really reminded me was that Rhinos is one of those decks that has 50-ish stock cards and then 10 cards you get to play around with. And Flame can be one of those 10. Even if you're using Mutavault to bring it online... I don't know that there's any other way to do it in this deck that isn't like embarrassing, I guess. Or I don't know. That's like <laughs> there's that, not that. any good ones now. So <laughs> yeah. how, how did Mutavault feel? Did it like was you how was it, it your was just how fine. was your how was your mana? Like this is still playing two basic islands, which I guess yeah. is like a hedge against like um the uh Blood Moon effects. It's it's also to have more Lorian hits. The two Mutavault actually were no problem. And I think it's specifically because you do have the Ketria. And like a Ketria plus a colorless land plus any other land is usually a-okay. And the Lorien revealed, like they find you lands and fix your mana. So yeah, I, I had games where I had multiple colorless sources out and it, it just didn't really matter. Okay, not, that's good. Not a real downside. We got to talk about Lorien. Yeah. Yeah, I'll talk about Lorien. I, I guess the last thing I'll mention is like for, Flor or for, for Flames of Anor to be a wizard spell, you have to have four mana. So it's like, it's doing this weird mm, yeah, true. cryptic command impression, but I guess it's also better than cryptic command, let's be real. You're a wizard, mutie. Yeah. Um, Lorien revealed, I, I love it too. I just... Yeah, I mean, this seems the, like just... a perfect the, addition to the deck. Yeah, it, it seems like I can't wait to pick up my copies after they drop back down from like 250 each for a common. Oh, I didn't know they were that expensive. They're, they're not going to drop down. Oh, boo. They're cheaper in Europe, too. <laughs> oh, Stan, send me some. <laughs> Why are we whispering? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, Lauren Reveal, just... I, I, I'll keep shady one-landers with it. Obviously, like, it's amazing in a two-lander. It, it, you never feel like you have too many of them because you are also playing subtleties and force of negations, too. It makes yeah. it a lot easier to make your Merc Tides a little bit bigger. Like, this was a deck that the Merc Tides were a nice addition to, but they're not always two mana eight eights. Like sometimes you just have to like hope a five or a six gets the job done. And those are fine too. We'll take them. But I, I love Lorian Revealed. I would probably always play the full four. I see a lot of lists trying to play three, but I don't see any reason not to. And I will also add that I almost never draw three with them. Like even when I want to, I just find a better use for them eventually. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. How often you hard cast it? I, I think I found myself casting it a couple of times, but it, it like you said, it rarely comes up. Yeah, I've I've done it, and it's and it's good, but that's like the third mode on the card, right? Yeah. The, so yeah, uh, questing beast. I I could never cast one. Or <laughs> I, actually, I take that back. I never cast one when I wrote these notes, but I did end up casting one today in, in the new league I played. But not because of the ring. I've actually never had a revolved ring against me. I just cast it oh, because wow. it was in hand, and like it was just okay. I'll put a format of vigilance haste on the board. Um, so I, I don't really have anything to say about Questing Beast, but I, I would keep working with it just because I think it's good enough against Tron and other ring decks that having the potential to do 14 damage in a turn when someone is 
playing yeah. the ring could when be, they tap out for the ring type thing. Yeah, could could yeah. be like just a massive play that hard to line up, but will likely always feel amazing. But I'll report it here first if I find out that that's not in fact the case when I finally do it. So yeah, six four across two leagues, pretty good record. Sweet, can't com- can't complain. Did better when I changed the deck to my play style, which always feels nice. And yeah, I, I'm curious, Devin, if you agree or disagree with any of my observations, because I know you've played two versions of Rhinos, Teamer and Four Color. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I um I did play both, you know, Teamer and Four Color. I ended up liking Teamer a little bit better. Uh, the additions to Four Color were the Leyline Bindings, and then there were some Dranith Magistrates in the sideboard, which kind of uh, <laughs> kind of funny to, to think that you know Cascade deck brings in a two drop in the postboard games. I think it's right. mostly there for Living End, but yeah, I was just I really missed Fury when I played Four Color, and I really felt like Fury lined up against the format better than Leyline Binding did. So that's kind of my stance on on Four Color versus Teamer. I really think Teamer's in a good spot. I personally, I tried Marco Del Pivo's version, which was the one that had four subtlety main, no questing beast, and um, the weird, like the, the Tron hate sideboard with like the commandeers and the obsidian charmaz. Um, yeah, that version felt pretty smooth. I, I, I still kind of like four subtlety because there is a lot of Tron going around and that card's really sick against Tron. Yeah. Like just bounce effect. Like in in my Tron leagues, I played like one or two decks that featured. I, I played against Blue Tron, which has like a lot of sort of you know bounce effects and counter spell effects, and that's just even though you have a lot of mana, it's just tilting or like the you know reprieve very tilting to play against because just like you know you want to stick that you know that uh, worm coil engine or something like that or that that tr- that Karn, and when it gets bounced back to your hand and you can't recast it, it's huge tempo issue. So. I definitely hear that. Do you think Charma is a worthwhile replacement for Blood Moon right now, especially for the Tron matches? Seems good to me. I feel like I do a split. Like I think if you normally have four slate, like you have four sideboard cards for Tron, I think I like maybe like two Charma, two Blood Moon. I think that's what Marco had, or maybe he had two Blood Moon or one Blood Moon, one Magus, two Charma. But I think mm-hmm. a two, I think a two two split's pretty good. Yeah, and this is where if you want to bring Force of Vigor back, like I think that you can definitely um, do that because you know Force of Vigoring the 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 artifact pieces to get you to Tron is gonna hurt too, especially because you know unlike many decks that are just kind of like overboarding against Tron because of your your consistent path to having Rhinos to clock, like you're gonna be in a good shape against Tron as uh, as Rhinos if you can board correctly and, and draw them. Did Agreed. you play any Flame of Anor? Um, no, I don't think Marco had any Flame of Anors, but it is a card that I do want to test at some point. I don't have any in paper, but because um, I usually play you know modern FNMs, but I haven't gotten a chance to try it online. It did seem particularly impactful, like you mentioned, just really just a, a much better version of Prismari Command, being able yeah. to like especially the, the draw two instead of loot, like you mentioned, very important. I think those are some good points on that. And yeah, the ability to deal five instead of two massive against the like the, the scam openings and even like something like a grief that has a counter on it. You can't press mark command that, but you can flame it. So yeah, much, much better against scam for sure. Yeah, good deck. I can't wait to, you know, piece this back together with some of the new cards once I grab them, uh, play an FNM, you know, play at a LGS event or play online type thing because, yeah, this, I mean, this making a little bit of a comeback, not that it really fell off too hard, but this and Tron being some big decks in the format right now are making me very happy. For sure. We love Rhinos, Rhino boys. 
exactly. Devin, Stanislav, anything else you want to say about Rhinos before we move on to what Devin's been experimenting with? That great. I'm going to keep playing it and feel good about it. Sweet. Don't feel bad if you, play, if you play with it, too. How's that battery, buddy? 25%? <laughs> Close. 22. Battery check. Ooh. All right. Well, Devin, give us some highlights from what you've been doing from with the Pro Tour decks. All right. Well, if you want highlights, we should probably start with the four-color reanimator yes, deck. Yes, I was really was, hoping this would be the first highlight. Uh, Marco Vassallo. Let me pull up the, the deck real quick. But it was, uh, I believe, Marco got 16th, I think. I'm pretty sure Marco lost right. his winning in. Going to me- Melee.gg. Yeah, but this deck was really sweet. So for those place. of you who have not seen it, it's really an Atraxa Goryeo's Vengeance deck. And what it's trying to do is utilize things like Fable the Mirror Breaker to put Atraxa into the graveyard, get it back with Goryeo's Vengeance. And it also kind of has like a scam element as well, where you have, you know, you have uh, four Grief, two Solitude, and then you have four Ephemerates. And the really sick thing, like the line you can do is on turn three, like so let's say you have a, a Tainted Indulgence to bid an Atraxa on turn one you can go turn three play your third land gorios the atraxa get the trigger find an ephemerate off of the atraxa use the ephemeral attack first obviously and then use the ephemerate to blink the atraxa which then keeps it on the battlefield because it's no longer part of the like the gorios you know exile until exile to be in the next end step um so that's really sick that's it Yep, resets the Atraxa, so you just get to keep it. You get a second Atraxa trigger. You even get a third Atraxa trigger if your opponent hasn't conceded the game by then, because on your upkeep, you can you know rebound the Ephemerate. So, ton of cards there. I played this deck a little bit prior to Marco's finish. I had a slightly different setup where I had Ring's main deck instead of Bowmasters. I had, I think, the, four, the full four Solitudes uh, alongside the four Griefs, and I think I might have even had one or two more kind of scam spells to lean into that scam aspect a little bit more. And yeah, I went 4-1. The league felt pretty good. Deck felt you know pretty good overall. Um, not a ton I would change, just uh, a very, very solid deck. You know, hopefully you can dodge graveyard hate, but yeah, really, I, I like the, the deck's ability to play that kind of scam gameplay, but also have this like really sick late game and you can even race the combo decks with like turn two, you know, Atraxa that'll also find more stuff. So yeah, good deck overall. I like it a lot. Sweet. That's cool. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like, you know, people tried a long time to make like Orzov or Esper Reanimator a thing with the all of the, the the tools that were given to us from MH2. And I think just including myself, like I played a lot of it, honestly, and I liked it, but it just never proved to be like a very good deck in the end. Um, I don't know if you played any of that back in the day, but I'm, I'm curious if this is like the, you know, how does, how does this compare? Just like overall, just better? It's just using newer cards that have come out since MH2? It's, it's kind of funny because a lot of what we had thought when MH2 first came out, we saw Persist and we were like, well, what can we do with Persist? And yeah. it turns out the best thing you can do is just put a legendary creature into play without Persist. And I think part of that is the haste that Gorios provides because it allows you to have kind of this quicker clock against the combo decks. Devin, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I need to bounce to a outlet really quick. Plug it in, because, plug it in. Because, you know, I'm a human and sometimes humans have to do silly things when they make their silly podcasts. Go on without me. I'll be back in two minutes. Okay. If hopefully, everything works. Hopefully we'll, see you, hopefully we'll see you soon. If not, goodbye. Enjoy Wisconsin. Hey, this isn't goodbye. This is see you later. Okay. I hope so. Okay. So we've got Reanimator. Reanimator. What else? What else was uh, tickling your fancy in Modern? 
All right. Um, the rest of these, I would say maybe not as great, as good of an experience as reanimator. I mean, we could start with Merfolk, which, uh, we have to, well, I mean, the deck did have the best win percentage at the pro tour, right? You can't disagree with me there. Yeah. Ran hot. (laughs) Unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately that, that particular player did not do so hot and limited. Um, I don't really have a ton to say about Merfolk. Merfolk is Merfolk. I went three, two. It fell fine. I lost to some furies. I lost to some scam openings as yeah. you would probably expect. It's weird because the person I think went one or two and zero against scam. So they, they did play the matchup. They beat it a couple of times and you have some insulation against scam. You have the, the, the three drop that I can never pronounce the name of the, the one that gives all your stuff. Ward. Civilian. Yeah, the whatever we we'll call it S. That's you know yes. short for S. Cool uh, S. Kind of like Stan, but yeah, you have that card which gives your stuff ward. And the cool thing about that is if they can't pay any of the ward triggers, like let's say they target four of your guys with Fury, and if they don't have four mana to pay, even if they pay for three of them, the whole ability still gets countered. So that's kind of cool. Um, so there's that. You do kind of beat up on Tron, though, because you have Subtlety, Force of Negation, and Tide Shaper, which messes with the uh, the Tron mana base. So you do, I think, have a good Tron matchup along with the Fast Clock. So that's pretty good for Merfolk, but I think tough against Scam, close-ish against Rhinos, so not a huge fan overall. Um, the next deck was the Sam combo deck that Luis Scott okay. Vargas played. Yeah, so I'm, I still have curiosity about this deck because it looks like a cool deck, that maybe was just in the wrong room. And I'm kind of curious, like how it feels after the PT for you. Uh, well, to quote the Luis Scott Vargas article, uh, which, uh, which we had mentioned earlier because Stan was talking about the Rhinos deck that he played. Uh, ah, Rhinos, also known as the deck I wish I played at the Pro Tour. I played Samwise Food Combo, but that's a tale for another day. <laughs> now, I, you know, I didn't have a terrible experience. I went 3-2. You'll see a common theme here. I 3-2 a, a lot of leagues, which... For better or worse, at least you break even. The deck yeah. was okay. I spent a little bit of time on something very similar prior to the PT, where it was a similar shell with like Court of Calling Collected Company. You do have a lot of play, like you have a lot of tutor targets and a lot of flexibility with how you can set up your core targets and in terms of like what you want to target for the main deck. I mean, if you expected a lot of rhinos, you could even maybe justify something like a main deck Draineth Magistrate. I don't know if that's going mm-hmm. too far, but you have a lot of flexibility there. Um, the nice thing about the combo, and I think the, the most important part, is the fact that it kills through the ring. Because Cauldron Familiar, uh, it's loss of life and it doesn't target. Exactly, so yeah. that specific aspect of the deck was exceptional. I did kill a couple of people through a ring trigger because they thought they were safe. So that is really nice about the deck. But as far as comparing it to Yawgmoth, it's it's kind of just like budget Yawgmoth. I, th- I, don't, I can't really think of a situation you would want to play this over Yawgmoth. Yeah, that's that's the thing, right? Is like, is this better than Yawgmoth? Is it better than like Heliod? And who's you know, which is kind of winning in a similar but slightly different way. Uh, I think you've played some Heliod, right? Just as a I side did. conversation. I love that deck. Yeah, how, how does it compare to a deck like you know the Sam combo? Um, I think Heliod has slightly better scam matchup because you get to play stuff like Oriak Champion and Sanctifier. Yeah. Whereas you Oriac, can't. Yeah. You can't That's play. Right now. 
you can't play Sanctifier in the Sam deck, one, because your mana doesn't really support it, and two, because it shuts off your Cauldron Familiar. So you don't want to play Sanctifier in that deck. And then Oriac Champion, similar thing, double white on turn two is nearly impossible. The mana base is kind of rough with this Absan deck, because like, um, oh, another one big thing, and I know it kind of sounds minor, but Wooded Bastion is mm-hmm. an absolute boon if, you, if you're into playing the Absan deck. It's something that I hadn't thought of when I was testing the deck prior to the PT, but you have a lot of openings where you have a lot of black green dual lands because you have both black and green one drops. But then if you have a mana dork on one, uh, specifically delighted halfling, let's say you start like overgrown tomb delighted halfling. You have four ranger captains in your deck that you just can't cast. Ranger captain's not a legend, so you can't tap the halfling for it, and then the black green land, so you don't have a white source there. So Bastion is a really big boon to the deck, but yeah, ultimately, I I feel like it's just the worst Yawgmoth deck. Yeah, that's, I mean, creature combo is always in a particularly weird spot, right? Because, like, you're trying to do the same thing, which is piece some creatures together on board and find the pieces that you need out of the deck with your tutors. And so it's kind of like, what makes a particular combo deck better than another? And it's like, is it speed? Is it resiliency? Is it um, toughness of the creatures that you could play to get to the combo? And that's definitely something that I think you have to really keep in mind when you're trying to do these things, right? Like how easy is it to win? How, How hard is it to lose? Stanislav, you're back. We got him. We're talking about talk, talking about creature combo decks. Almost done with that. So uh, welcome back. And anything else you have to say about this uh, the Sam combo stuff? Um, no, I think that is pretty much it for that. Yeah, like again, I just I keep trying to think of something a reason why I would play it over Yogmoth, but I, I really can't think of anything. What you got, Stan? Devin, I'm glad I caught you talking about Sam because I did want to ask, especially amid like some of this ban talk, people were looking at cards like Fury and Red and Six for killing creature decks, is Samwise combo the type of deck that might actually be able to be a bit stronger, exist longer in a world without Fury or Ren and Six and the like? Um, well, see, the night the thing about specifically this version, and I think what Lubis and, and company were kind of thinking about when they were testing, the mana dorks in the deck are Gilded Goose and Delighted Halfling. So they clearly had Ren and Six and Bowmaster in mind. So, and one of the common openings is like turn one mana dork, which is an O2 into turn two ranger captain. So even if you get furied, their fury is only killing one of your creatures and you got a card out of the ranger captain. So I think they definitely built this deck with fury, bread and six and Bowmaster in mind. Now, you know, there is probably a more efficient way to build the deck in terms of mana base. Cause one thing that Shane and I were talking about while you were gone is the wooded bastions are actually one of the most important cards in the decks because of how how it makes the mana better. And if you got to play Noble Hierarch and Birds of Paradise, which you can't right now because of Bowmasters, if you get to play those, the mana base would be quite a bit better. All right, Devin. So we've got, what, one more deck or so? One more deck. Now, the last deck that I one played... More one more deck. This was... you're gonna maybe um actually me but this wasn't actually a pro tour deck this was from the ptq that was held on sunday it was at magic fest barcelona yeah and i'm gonna pull up the list real quick and i'm gonna link it just so we can take a look this is naya scape shift all right so this deck that we have here came from the ptq uh it went seven and one in the ptq which i believe it made top eight and it is scape shift but we have white 
for reprieve and lane line binding. Now we've seen kind of teamer escape shift in the past with remand kind of reprieve taking the slot of that. But now you get to play your remand in white and also get to play lane line binding. Um, just to give a quick rundown for the listeners. It's just basically all four of us are probably grace surge right at the Elysian Grove run in six reprieve wish to find the there's only three escape ship, but there's one in the sideboard, which you can wish for. And then four one ring four binding 29 lands, a really clean list. Um, again, I only went three two, but I was moderately impressed. I liked a lot of what, what was going on here, um, specifically the interaction like turn three ring sets you up so well, because a lot of times with scape shift decks, you're in a spot where you need that like one extra turn to survive to get that that last lethal scape shift. And uh, the one ring is really good at buying you a turn and digging you towards combo pieces as well. I played against this deck. It's a good one. I like it. I, I sort of felt like it needed the ring to function and the games where it couldn't find the ring, a couple counter spells just shut it off completely. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely that element. Um, Wish, while you know, it, an extremely versatile card, there's a there are a ton of one ofs you can get in the sideboard. It is pretty expensive. You know, mm-hmm. there's definitely some spots where yeah. you can wish for like the old G Besaju, which is Besaju who shelters all to make your scape shift uncounterable. But then the problem there is you're wishing for a land and you're not wishing for the scape shift. So then you have to draw another payoff. So it, it can get a little clunky. And like you mentioned, um, you know, the games where it doesn't draw ring, it has to like manual dryad valicate, which there is four valicates, maybe not uh, a common occurrence for a lot of scape shift decks. And that yeah. is uh, that is something to something nice as well. And then sometimes you can go like, I did lock somebody out, quote unquote, with like Ren and Six Reprieve, where I just had a Ren and Six. They did never killed it. And I was like, all right, ultimate, here's some reprieves. And then I just eventually found my wow. own condition. So amazing. Amazing. You can do that. But yeah, it's uh it, it's definitely clunky. Do, do you remember what you played against? Because I know no. this is one of those decks, like Will Kruger proved, like you can bring it out for a certain condition. And I'm curious if we have a sense of like what is it actually good against right in today's modern? I played so many leagues with that one yeah. specifically. I don't recall yeah. a ton of what I played against. Um, I want to say, I think I beat Merktide, Scam, and then I think I lost a Scam, and I think I might have also lost to Hammer. It felt like it was really slow against Hammer. Like, you don't have mm-hmm. you don't have the Lightning Bolts or the Prismatic Endings. Your really removal spell is only Leyline Binding, which you can't even cast on turn one. You can only cast it on turn two. So mm-hmm. it felt a little bit slow in kind of the faster matchups, but... I, I do think going long, you can maybe try like try to you know just kind of grind people out with red and six and use dryad valicate in a longer game. So I would say probably not great against stuff like scam. You're probably at a disadvantage against amulet because you're a little bit slower. But yeah, overall, you know it's an okay deck. It's it's another deck, not too bad. It's another deck. It is. <laughs> That's what modern needs: more decks. <laughs> Cool. I mean, thanks for testing all these decks and telling us about them. I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, you think Reanimator is legit, and I know you were just testing some Rhinos as well, and you and Stan talked about that, so sweet. Yeah, anyway. Reanimator, Reanimator, definitely the highlight of those five, for sure. And also, uh, don't play Merfolk. <laughs> I won't. Don't worry. <laughs> Shane, I was talking what to did the you listeners. play? <laughs> oh, what did I play? So the, um, I could, I'm going to briefly talk about 
the Handshake Green Tron list. I've been talking a lot about Tron recently. We talked about a lot of Tron from the Pro Tour. Uh, I've been playing a good amount of Tron. Uh, I played I played a lot of Tron this weekend. I think I played like eight total matches. I, I finished up, which is a lot for me on a weekend, especially Evo weekend. Um, going back to the Street Fighter thing, it's one of like one of the biggest fighting game tournaments of the whole year. Is it, is it uh, like was, the Pro Tour of Street Fighter? <laughs> I so it's it's like the pro tour for every fighting game. Like so every popular fighting game has a huge bracket and Street Fighter had over 7,000 competitors. It's crazy. So uh from all over the world. So it was a lot of people. There were a lot of pools the uh, and yeah, it was it was an impressive impressive tournament. The final the like the top 6 um cuz there's like a losers and a winners bracket. And that was like three hours of awesomeness. So I was, you know, I had a, I had a great weekend playing magic, watching street fighter people, watching cartoons, punch and kick each other. So handshake green Tron, we talked to this about last, this last week, you know, they changed some previously core cards around one chromatic star because of orcish Bellmasters, three Sylvan scrying, three main decks dismember for like the scam matchups and, uh, you know, other kind of key targets you might want to hit. A few Urza Saga main deck, having that full place out of the one ring main, all that kind of stuff, right? So I had just finished up two leagues of what I would consider like the stock Tron, like sort of like a Calcano style Tron. And then I digitally sleeved up this list, went through another league. And so ultimately, I think fundamentally the reason you play this deck and the reason it's built this way is because you are not relying as heavily on mulliganing to turn three Tron and then doing all the dumb Tron stuff, right? So the, the reasoning I think is that the format's a little bit slower, a little bit grindier. You might have your hand attacked by scam. You know, you, you have more things to do with four mana that can hopefully debilitate your opponent a bit, like because they're not racing you quite as often. So you've got four O stone for the one ring for Karn, the great creator. So you, have these ostensibly earlier plays that can hopefully stabilize you in some manner as you continue your path to Tron and taking over the mid and end game. And Urza Saga is an important addition to assist with that because it gives you like this slightly slower inevitable path to Tron. Like it pulls up maps, it pulls up chromatic effects, and then it also can be an interesting late game pull with like a Sylvan scrying or a map because then you can start making some constructs. And so Saga, in its own way, acts as something like that fourth copy of Sylvan Scrying, or maybe more like a fifth expedition map, like however you want to square that circle. Um, but it also gives you like an alternative game plan if you want to take advantage of it. But then like it also has a downside, which is you lose the mana. So like if you play the Saga early, like you are kind of like, well, it becomes something else. In this deck, hopefully it becomes a Tron piece because of like the map, but it still is like a weird tempo situation. And I'll get more in terms of like the sequencing challenges of this deck compared to like classic Tron in a minute, but just like keep that in mind. The fewer chromatics, I'm not sure how I felt overall. I didn't feel like I drew too many cards that just ended up being these one mana cyclers which is sometimes what happens with Tron. Like you have everything online. You don't really care about green mana unless you're holding like ancient strings. But, you know, so like you don't draw as many sort of like of those, you know, cycler cards, but sometimes you just want that green mana that you don't have. And so like, you know, cutting scrying down to three, having the sagas that can get maps makes you more reliant on finding your lands via that route. So like, that's okay. 
But removing the stars in such a significant cut is like an actual significant mathematical change to your path to Tron. And so like, I'm not so sure that like your leagues or your LGS events, like, you know, for the casual spikes out there are going to be so skewed towards scam or towards Yogg or other Bowmasters decks. Like you have to hedge that strongly against it. So like maybe in a challenge, because, you know, we saw so many scam decks in this weekend's challenge, which we don't have time to talk about, but like, you know, I would maybe think about it in that case, but like in a wider meta, like I just built paper Tron again, cause I got my last one rings and I probably would run like at least two chromatic stars rather than just like a singleton you know for the one rings main i like a lot of irexian metamorph on the side is like the truth to me i think you just draw them more early as like an early play and then you can you know you can snowball from there like i bailed myself out at one life by resetting a, a ring with a metamorph one game so just like stuff like that where it's just like hey you get the metamorph if you're in trouble if you need to reset a ring after you're drawing like three or four cards three or six cards you know what i mean so that worked quite fine were you primarily using the metamorph defensively that way or like are are you ever tagging your opponent's permanence yeah so i think that that is like an option right and i honestly only use the metamorph one game and that was when i was in a real grinder against like this like interesting uh, brew that was kind of like a an all-in on Bowmasters list where they were like had ephemerate effects and they were kind of like blinking their Bowmasters and really and they had like a combo where it's like they just had different combos sort of built around Bowmasters and other creature strategies and so I just had I was just clawing my way back and I was just like yeah I can draw a card here I don't draw another one and then I reset it with metamorph and then I'm I'm fine at this point because I have enough fuel on the rest of my in my hand like I have like you know two worm coil engines and that was a okay with me and but like you said metamorph you know like you indicated i mean is like metamorph has that broader application like you can steal a really cool creature you can steal another opponent's one ring or any kind of artifact with it and i think for four mana that's a lot right like that's a good clone so i think it's a very cool addition to the wishboard i'm almost surprised it hasn't been in there before i know just because it's just kind of like oh like that's that's great that makes total sense copy your shield and then tap my ring yeah i mean fine i was kind of torn on three dismembers it came in handy versus decks like hammer versus like creature combo strategies things like that it's like a valuable card and and I think like you know the singleton talisman of resilience allows you to pay like one less life for the black mana if you need to, but like I think you could probably cut dismember to like one to two main, and like maybe put one in the sideboard if you can find the room. You mentioned creature combo. Is it fair to say that scam is now a creature combo deck, or do we not want to go that far? <laughs> I mean, it it certainly can be right. Like there's a there's a bunch of combos with the creatures whether it's thought seizing you after a doffy or a you know the the undying effect or something like that so i don't i don't know if we we've gotten to talk a chance to talk about it on the pizza uh, the pod yet but that at that moment where calcano threw the ulamog on the table was just <laughs> i i could uh, not i it was so dying. perfect i was dying rather than a creature combo i think it's more of a splinter twin situation mm, True. okay that's fair I mean, tal- and like when I, you know, I just talked about Talisman, I think it seemed like fine. Like it's nice to have access to green mana on like the artifact. It's there for good. But I mean, feel like there's 
I'm getting forests a lot often anyway, just like with people attacking my mana base or other type, you know, just it, you get a forest often. I don't, I don't know, like if I'd rather have like a third warm coil engine main deck or like you fit in the other chromatic star here or what? Like, I don't feel like this broke the deck open for me in any real way. I think it's kind of cool. Like if you are on the Urza Saga game plan, because it's like another useful artifact permanent that like is doing something for you while it's on the board. I don't know. It's like, it's very fine. I don't know if this is a permanent addition to the deck, but like one thing specifically about the talisman and just, I just wanted to bring this up because I remember this tweet that I saw the other day from Anderson, the Claire, and uh, you had mentioned earlier about the deck, like diff- the mulligan decisions are different. Anderson posted a tweet, uh, keeper mull this hand and it was two power plants and Urza's mine a talisman, a dismember, a ring, and a Karn. And over 60% of the people said keep, which I agree with. And it's actually something that like, because this Tron deck is so different than Tron decks we've seen in the past, like these keep mold decisions are very, very different. Oh yeah. Uh, it's so much different. Like it's, it, it overall felt fine. Like I went, um, I only went two, three in this league. I played against like one deck that was extremely ready for Tron. Like it was like a mono white, um, timeless dragon, like solitude type thing that was, you know, also at Stoneforge. So it's just like, they had four field of ruin. They had like multiple pithing needle effects. It was just like, it was brutal. Um, but, uh, overall in my recent leagues, I've won three, two, three, two, two, three, just with Tron in general. And I think Tron overall feels fine. I think like there's a lot of small edges that with like the one ring and with Karn and with O-Stone and things like that, just like with your smaller plays, like sequencing is really important more than ever. And especially with Urza Saga, because it's like, when do I play the Saga? If I have one in hand, like, you know, you you have to think multiple turns ahead here with this deck more than you've had to do with Tron in the past. Like, do I play the Tron land first and see if I'm drawing into like another in the next two turns? Uh, Do I plan for like a map in the first few turns with Saga and then lose access to like that Tronless four mana play where it's like, hey, I have the Saga in hand. If I play the Saga later, then I definitely have four mana. Um, or quite likely do, and I can play the thing, or do I like, do I try to sequence towards, you know, getting that map or chromatic effect? Like, and then when you have mana, are you using it to get a Tron piece with a map? Or are you getting like an O-Stone online based on the board state or what you think is going to happen? Do you put that Karn into play? What do you do with Karn? Do you try to attack their mana with like a liquid metal coating? Do you attack their deck with a stone brain? Something else entirely. Do I drop the ring now? Do I save it for like a fog later? All of this stuff comes up so much more frequently too when your mana is under attack and you just don't have that luxury of like the boatload of mana to make that easy decision. And all of these little micro decisions early on lead to these big differences a few turns down the road. And that's very different than the type of decisions that I've had to make with Tron in the past where it's like, okay, I'm going to mulligan until I have a pretty clear path to Tron or like a mathematical, like thoughtful one at least. And it's like now with all of these plays where it's like, like you said, that hand that you could possibly keep Devin, right. Is like, there's still decisions that you have to make to get to even play the four mana play. Right. Or it's like, you know, I think there's just a lot of thought that goes into it. It's not as brain dead a deck as it used to be. 
And that's what's cool about it, honestly, is like, I think it's cool to have like a Tron deck where you are making more decisions and that you have to sort of outplay your opponent. Like, you know, even though Calc wasn't playing this list exactly, like we saw some cool games on camera where Tron players were outplaying their opponent or thinking multiple turns ahead about what they needed to do with like the one ring or their tutor targets or things like that. And that really does something to make the deck more fun and I think have more play and give it more power. I think it's interesting that that's what the thing it took to make Tron relevant again was almost acknowledging that like making seven mana on turn three isn't the thing that's good anymore. It's nice to have I mean, access to that. And it's you, good. Yeah, of course. Like you're still going to exploit that when you have it, but we just have to find more powerful things to do without Tron that can like let Tron win and be a control deck that yeah. actually beats up on on where the format has gone. Yeah, and even like I was, I was going to say, Karn liberated is you know one the thing that a, kind of like a bygone era used to be. You would start your Tron deck with four Karn liberated, and now you're starting with maybe one, maybe two tops, if even that. Um, you were yeah. talking about great games to watch. One thing I will say: Game four of the finals between Calcano and Beardsley was one of the greatest games I've ever watched. So if you guys uh, listening have a moment to go watch that, definitely go check it out. That game was amazing. Sweet. So yeah, I mean, overall, like I think people are more prepared for Tron. Um, I may, I just ran into like Damping Spheres and Field of Ruins and multiple Pithy Needles and like Tron. I think people slightly overstate how well Tron can fight through hate. Like you know, it, you can, but it, like it hampers your game plan significantly if your opponent's presenting a clock as well. Like you know, Pithy Needle naming O Stone was a huge issue for me when I couldn't like Bosage my way out of it. And, you know, O-Stone is one of those cards that I've heard multiple, you know, other content creators and people just being like, yeah, it's like one of the, another reason that like you want to play four O-Stone is because it's just really good right now and buys you some time, but not when people are you know, bringing in Pivy Needle all the time. And right. part of that is like Karn the Great Creator is more popular now too. I think like this impacts your ability just to do all your stuff like with your artifacts and people are just getting increasingly aware of the power of Karn and its place is likely the best planeswalker in modern and you know that's not great and it can tutor up Pithy Needle so you know Burn still exists people like playing Burn the Burn matchup is bad I lost on turn three and turn four quite easily you can play some Weather the Storms <laughs> yeah but after that <laughs> I have some Russian ones did you have to play against Blood Moon at all? No, I, but I played against like Damping Sphere. I played against Field of Ruin. Um, Blood Moon was was not necessarily the issue mm-hmm. compared to just you know land destruction effects, things like that. Did you happen to see Charma? I did not play against Charma, but I certainly would not like it. Yeah. The I don't know. I think it's good. I think it's cool. Um, I'm going to keep playing it when I can. I think I'm I'm a little bit tired of it after like 15 matches in the past like week or so. So I'll take a break, go play some Rhinos. But yeah, Tron's Tron's cool. Tron's more thinking than it used to be. Uh, if you like Tron, go back to it. Have some fun. Well, Shane, what if we played Preordain in our Tron deck? Uh, Blue Tron does cream green Tron, I think. So I played against a Blue Tron deck that I felt like I had almost no chance. So play some Preordain there. <laughs> Wow. But yeah, that's all I got to say about that. And I, th- I think uh, that's 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 modern right now. It's it's all it's all uh, Nye Escape Shift, Merfolk, <laughs> no, Timeless Dragon Drex, Mutavolts. Whatever, whatever you listeners do, don't play Merfolk. 
that's Poor that's burn. the takeaway from this episode. Just don't play burn because I don't want to face it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Play Rhinos though. Yeah, Awuga. All right. Well, fun episode, Devin. Good luck at your RCQ. It's this weekend. Yeah. Last one, baby. Oh, yeah. Let's let's do it. Is it a two-seater? Uh, I don't actually know. I think the store that I go to is not a premium, so I think it's a one. Okay. Well, look, you're going to do great no matter what. We're rooting as long for as I you. do better than last week, then I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all, those are reasonable goals. Just like keep improving one step at a time. That wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the show or just reach out in general, you can tweet us. It's called X. It's still twitter.com. We're twitter.com slash the dive down, all one word. Or you can just email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support our show or if you have in the past and you're not sure if your Patreon is still working because their glitch kind of deleted some of our patrons, do check us out over at patreon.com slash the dive down and check out our swag at the dive down.com slash store as well. Okay. And because... More people are walking into Stan's room. Uh, shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the Dive Down. You can use code the Dive Down 2023 for 10% off your first two months there. You can head on over to Heavy Play for some incredible deck and dice boxes, play mats, things like that, featuring the Equip Mag system. You can use the same code, the Dive Down 2023, for 15% off your order there. You can get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using the Dive Down 23 for 15% off your first order and save money on paper cards over at nerd rage gaming with code dive eight for 8% off your order there. Of course, special thanks to the bands nowhere and space blood for letting us use their music and Devin say this with me until next week, get out there and be a rhino wizard. wizard. Wait, are there rhino wizards? Did we ever get to the bottom of that?